Chapter 10, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 10, Another Successful Speculation, Part 2. In November 1842, I was in Albany on business, and as the Hudson River was frozen over, I returned to New York by the Housatonic Railroad, stopping one night at Bridgeport, Connecticut, with my brother Philo F. Barnum, who at that time kept the Franklin Hotel. I had heard of a remarkably small child in Bridgeport, and at my request my brother brought him to the hotel. He was not two feet high, he weighed less than sixteen pounds, and was the smallest child I ever saw that could walk alone, but he was a perfectly formed, bright-eyed little fellow, with light hair and ruddy cheek, and he enjoyed the best of health. He was exceedingly bashful, but after some coaxing he was induced to talk with me, and he told me that he was the son of Sherwood E. Stratton, and that his own name was Charles S. Stratton. After seeing him and talking with him, I at once determined to secure his services from his parents and to exhibit him in public. But, as he was only five years of age, to exhibit him as a dwarf might provoke the inquiry, how do you know he is a dwarf? Some liberty might be taken with the facts, but even with this license, I felt that the venture was only an experiment and I engaged him for four weeks at three dollars a week, with all traveling and boarding charges for himself and his mother at my expense. They came to New York, Thanksgiving Day, December 8, 1842, and Mrs. Stratton was greatly surprised to see her son announced on my museum bills as General Tom Thumb. I took the greatest pains to educate and train my diminutive prodigy, devoting many hours to the task by day and by night, and I was very successful, for he was an apt pupil with a great deal of native talent and a keen sense of the ludicrous. He made rapid progress in preparing himself for such performances as I wished him to undertake, and he became very much attached to his teacher. When the four weeks expired, I re-engaged him for one year at $7 a week, with a gratuity of $50 at the end of the engagement, and the privilege of exhibiting him anywhere in the United States, in which event his parents were to accompany him, and I was to pay all traveling expenses. He speedily became a public favorite, and, long before the year was out, I voluntarily increased his weekly salary to $25, and he fairly earned it. Sometimes I exhibited him for several weeks in succession at the museum, and when I wished to introduce other novelties, I sent him to different towns and cities, accompanied by my friend mr fordyce hitchcock and the fame of general tom thumb soon spread throughout the country two years had now elapsed since i bought the museum and i had long since paid for the entire establishment from the profits i had bought out my only rival i was free from debt and had a handsome surplus in the treasury the business had long ceased to be an experiment it was an established success and was in such perfect running order that it could safely be committed to the management of trustworthy and tried agents. Accordingly, looking for a new field for my individual efforts, I entered into an agreement for General Tom Thumb's services for another year, 
at fifty dollars a week and all expenses with the privilege of exhibiting him in europe i proposed to test the curiosity of men and women on the other side of the atlantic much as i hoped for success in my most sanguine moods i could not anticipate the half of what was in store for me i did not foresee nor dream that i was shortly to be brought in close contact with kings queens lords and illustrious commoners and that such association by means of my exhibition would afterwards introduce me to the great public and the public's money which was to fill my coffers or if i saw some such future it was dreamily dimly and with half-open eyes as the man saw the trees walking after arranging my business affairs for a long absence and making every preparation for an extended foreign tour on thursday january eighteenth eighteen forty four i went on board the new and fine sailing ship yorkshire captain d g bailey bound for liverpool our party included general tom thumb his parents his tutor and professor guillaudu the french naturalist we were accompanied by several personal friends and the city brass band kindly volunteered to escort us to sandy hook my name has been so long associated with mirthful incidents that i presume many persons do not suppose i am susceptible of sorrowful or even sentimental emotion but when the bell of the steamer that towed our ship down the bay announced the hour of separation and then followed the hastily spoken words of farewell and the parting grasp of friendly hands i confess that i was very much in the melting mood and when the band played home sweet home i was moved to tears a voyage to liverpool is now an old familiar story and i abstain from entering into details though I have abundant material respecting my own experiences of my first sea voyage in the first two of a series of one hundred letters which I wrote in Europe as correspondent of the New York Atlas. But some of the incidents and adventures of my voyage on the Yorkshire are worth transcribing in these pages of my personal history. Occasional calms and adverse winds protracted our passage to nineteen days, but a better ship and a more competent captain never sailed. I was entirely exempt from seasickness and enjoyed the voyage very much. Good fellowship prevailed among the passengers, the time passed rapidly, and we had a good deal of fun on board. Several of the passengers were English merchants from Canada, and one of the number, who reckoned himself a number one, and often hinted that he was too cute for any Yankee, boasted so much of his shrewdness that a yankee friend of mine confederated with me to test it i thought of an old trick and arranged with my friend to try it on the boastful john bull coming out of my stateroom with my hand to my face and apparently in great pain i asked my fellow-passengers what was good for the toothache my friend and confederate recommended heating tobacco and holding it to my face I therefore borrowed a little tobacco and putting it in a paper of a peculiar color placed it on the stove to warm i then retired for a few minutes during which time the yankee proposed playing a trick on me by emptying the tobacco and filling the paper with ashes which our smart englishman thought would be a very fine joke and he himself made the substitution putting ashes into the paper and throwing the tobacco into the fire i soon reappeared and gravely placed the paper to my face to the great amusement of the passengers and walked up and down the cabin as if i was suffering terribly 
at the further end of the cabin i slyly exchanged the paper for another in my pocket of the same color and containing tobacco and then walked back again a picture of misery whereupon the merry englishman cried out mr barnum what have you got in that paper tobacco i replied what will you bet it is tobacco said the englishman oh don't bother me said i my tooth pains me sadly i know it is tobacco for i put it there myself i'll bet you a dozen of champagne that it is not tobacco said the englishman nonsense i replied i will not bet for it would not be fair i know it is tobacco i'll bet you fifty dollars it is not said john bull and he counted ten sovereigns upon the table i'll not bet the money i replied for i tell you i know it is tobacco i placed it there myself you dare not bet he rejoined at last merely to accommodate him i bet a dozen of champagne the englishman fairly jumped with delight and roared out open the paper open the paper the passengers crowded round the table in great glee to see me open the paper for all but the yankee thought i was taken in i quietly opened the paper and remarked there i told you it was tobacco how foolish you were to suppose it was not for as i told you i put it there myself the passengers my confederate excepted were amazed and the englishman was absolutely astounded it was the biter bitten but he told the steward to bring the champagne and turning to my confederate who had so effectually assisted in selling him he pronounced the affair a contemptible yankee trick it was several days before he recovered his good humor but he joined at last with the rest of us in laughing at the joke and we heard no more about his extraordinary shrewdness on our arrival at liverpool quite a crowd had assembled at the dock to see tom thumb for it had been previously announced that he would arrive in the yorkshire but his mother managed to smuggle him ashore unnoticed for she carried him as if he was an infant in her arms we went to the waterloo hotel and after an excellent dinner walked out to take a look at the town while i was viewing the nelson monument a venerable-looking well-dressed old gentleman volunteered to explain to me the different devices and inscriptions i looked upon him as a disinterested and attentive man of means who was anxious to assist a stranger and to show his courtesy but when i gave him a parting bow of thanks half ashamed that i had so trespassed on his kindness he put out the hand of a beggar and said that he would be thankful for any remuneration i saw fit to bestow upon him for his trouble i was certainly astonished and i thrust a shilling into his hand and walked rapidly away in the evening of the same day a tall raw-boned man came to the hotel and introduced himself to me as a brother yankee who would be happy in pointing out the many wonders in liverpool that a stranger would be pleased to see i asked him how long he had been in liverpool and he replied nearly a week i declined his proffered services abruptly remarking that if he had been there only a week i probably knew as much about england as he did oh said he you are mistaken i have been in england before though never till recently in liverpool what part of england i inquired opposite niagara falls he replied i spent several days there with the british soldiers i laughed in his face and reminded him that england did not lie opposite niagara falls the impudent fellow was confused for a moment and then triumphantly exclaimed i didn't mean england i know what country it is as well as you do well what country is it i asked quite assured that he did not know great britain of course he replied 
It is needless to add that the honor of his company as a guide in Liverpool was declined, and he went off apparently in a huff because his abilities were not appreciated. Later in the evening, the proprietor of a cheap waxworks show at three halfpence admission called upon me. He had heard of the arrival of the great American curiosity, and he seized the earliest opportunity to make the general and myself the magnificent offer of ten dollars a week if we would join ourselves to his already remarkable and attractive exhibition. I could not but think that dwarves must be literally at a low figure in England, and my prospects were gloomy, indeed. I was a stranger in the land, my letters of introduction had not been delivered, beyond my own little circle I had not seen a friendly face, nor heard a familiar voice. I was blue, homesick, almost in despair. Next morning, there came a ray of sunshine in the following note madame celeste presents her compliments to mr barnum and begs to say that her private box is quite at his service any night for himself and friends theatre royal williamson square this polite invitation was thankfully accepted and we went to the theatre that evening our party including the general who was partly concealed by his tutor's cloak occupied celeste's box and in the box adjoining sat an English lady and gentleman whose appearance indicated respectability, intelligence, and wealth. The general's interest in the performance attracted their attention, and the lady remarked to me, What an intelligent-looking child you have! He appears to take quite an interest in the stage. Pardon me, madam, said I. This is not a child. This is General Tom Thumb indeed they exclaimed they had seen the announcements of our visit and were greatly gratified at an interview with the pygmy prodigy they at once advised me in the most complimentary and urgent manner to take the general to manchester where they resided assuring me that an exhibition in that place would be highly remunerative i thanked my new friends for their counsel and encouragement and ventured to ask them what price they would recommend me to charge for admission the general is so decidedly a curiosity, said the lady, that I think you might put it as high as tuppence. Two pence. She was, however, promptly interrupted by her husband, who was evidently the economist of the family. I am sure you would not succeed at that price, said he. You should put admission at one penny, for that is a usual price for seeing giants and dwarfs in England. This was worse than the $10 a week offer of the waxwork proprietor, but I promptly answered, Never shall the price be less than one shilling sterling, and some of the nobility and gentry of England will yet pay gold to see General Tom Thumb. My letters of introduction speedily brought me into friendly relations with many excellent families, and I was induced to hire a hall and present the general to the public for a short season in Liverpool. I had intended to proceed directly to London and begin operations at headquarters, that is, in Buckingham Palace, if possible, but I had been advised that the royal family was in mourning for the death of Prince Albert's father and would not permit the approach of any entertainments. Meanwhile, confidential letters from London informed me that Mr. Maddox, manager of Princess's Theatre, was coming down to witness my exhibition with a view to making an engagement. He came privately, but I was fully informed as to his presence and object. A friend pointed him out to me in the hall, 
and when I stepped up to him and called him by name, he was taken all aback and avowed his purpose in visiting Liverpool. An interview resulted in an engagement of the general for three nights at Princess's Theatre. I was unwilling to contract for a longer period, and even this short engagement, though on liberal terms, was acceded to only as a means of advertisement. So soon, thereafter, as I could bring my short but highly successful season in Liverpool to a close, we went to London. End of chapter 10, part 2, recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.